This is Someone Like Me, the official podcast of End Slavery Tennessee. Through the telling of their stories, this show empowers survivors of domestic human trafficking and educates listeners on what's really happening in their own backyards. I'm Leslie, your host, and joining me is End Slavery Tennessee founder, Derry Smith. Hi, Leslie. Today we get to hear a new perspective from a survivor. We've talked about grooming, the process of luring a targeted victim into trafficking, during some of the survivor stories this season, but we haven't focused on it in detail. Today's guest, Callie, wanted to get specific about this part of human trafficking that's often overlooked. I think getting a new perspective on this issue will help us all to have a better understanding of how complex human trafficking is. When we talked over Skype, Callie explained that her experience was a little different. She wasn't trafficked as a teenager or young adult. She was 33. Callie used to sing with an opera company. She had a dance studio. She says she was, quote, pretty normal, end quote, as much as being in an opera company and having a dance studio is normal. Seems pretty extraordinary to me. It was when she and her ex-fiance broke up that she was financially vulnerable. She couldn't afford to keep her dance studio In this moment of vulnerability, a trafficker found her and began readying Callie for his purposes. I especially loved her telling about a particularly special moment I got to witness during her first few weeks with us at End Slavery. As always, please keep in mind that this conversation discusses sexual matters and may be triggering for trauma survivors and may not be appropriate for children. We are now thrilled to introduce you to Callie. So I was a little bit older whenever it all came about. That's so why I'm kind of like, you know, age really doesn't have that much to do with it. It can still happen. I'm, I'm really glad you said that because a lot of the women we've spoken with have had a much younger experience. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear your experience coming from, you know, it started when you were an adult, you know, well into being yeah. an adult. Yeah. There was some yeah. stuff as a kid, but it wasn't extensive, but it's kind of like, I'm sure that played into it. But you do you know, mean in terms college, of things that were happening at home? Yes. Mm-hmm. But like, as in, I went to college, you know, for a few years, you know, always held a, a full-time job. So all of that was completely, you know, what I call society's norm. And I remember like the, I can't even try to think when I met my trafficker. I don't even remember the exact time, but I do remember that he started being everywhere I was. And it was enough to where I was like, well, that's weird. You know, you mean like at your work at your, no, it was actually in like personal life. Like I have tattoos. He had tattoos. I think maybe I met him when I was getting a tattoo or just saw him in there and that, you know, he wasn't from the same state. He was from a different state and he dressed really nice and, you know, very well spoken. Talked a little bit and then went out with my friends and he's kind of right there. And I'm like, guys, you know, still didn't think it was odd. You know, it's a like a restaurant club type place. That's normal. Next time I go to get something done, like at the tattoo, he's there again. And I'm like, well, now maybe that's weird, but maybe not. Maybe that's, you know, that's kind of cool, you know. Sure. Thinking it's maybe like just, oh, we, we have the same, we do the same things. This is, this, what a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a coincidence. It's, you know, it's, it's a larger city, but it's still a small town because it's in the south. 
Mm -hmm. Even large cities are still small. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and then I was kind of like, he's from, you know, he's from a totally different state. He had this really great job, well-spoken. So I was like, oh, this is different than, you know, Hmm. it's kind of nice. And we, we started talking and started talking a lot, like on the computer and everything. And all the things I was interested in, he had a lot of knowledge of, which was really cool. But come to find out, which he even later said, he would, whenever I talk about something, like even if it was opera, he would go and Google what I was talking about to make Uh it look like he had a lot of information about it. But you didn't know know that at the time. At the time, you just oh, wow, we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common. He's very knowledgeable. He's got a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. But yeah, he was, he would search, like if I talked about a certain opera we were doing he would search that opera and be like well yeah when this character and I'm like whoa that's you know I've never had that interaction with a guy you know ever around here this is not this area and it kind of slowly progressed to there to where he he asked me out and we went out and I I don't remember being that like enthralled at first but it's just kind of like oh he's nice to talk to and it slowly like turned into like a boyfriend situation and it was, it was slow. Like, it's like I tell anybody, it wasn't like in a week, oh, okay, here, do this. It took about, it was probably about, honestly, about almost a year. But in that year, there were so many big things that happened. Like he, he started to take on this role of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. And, hmm. you know, I don't like you living in this part of town. You know, you deserve better. Here, let me provide that for you. So out of nowhere, he said, look, I'm going to get you an apartment, better part of town, but I want to do this for you because, you know, I care about you and, you know, whatnot. You haven't had a good break. And so he got an apartment, got all new furniture and just said, here, this is yours. And I was a little bit like, okay, that's different, but it's really nice. It's kind of nice that somebody, you know, he cares enough about me that, you know, Sure. He doesn't want me here. He wants me here. And we would go on these really nice trips and, you know, everything was, well, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to, you know, just stick with me, whatnot. And then it was, it, it got to where with the apartment, it got to where the job that I was doing, I couldn't afford it. You know, initially at first, yes, but then, you know, I worked doing commission sales and with that money kind of went down, I couldn't afford the apartment. I couldn't afford the electricity. I couldn't afford the call of that. And then that became, well, I'll get it. But, you know, that's kind of where that. Oh, interesting. you got to do some things for me. And it just, and then it got even to there, I guess he couldn't. And then it, it dropped down to like, we got to move you out of here and put you over here. So I, I mean, I moved so many times. like To a so better many. place or to a place that was similar or a worse place? It went up and down. Like <laughs> it would be either similar or it would be somewhere completely away from, you know, like where I had like interaction with my friends or anything. Cause that was another thing. He started like pulling me back or trying to turn them on me and me on them. And that kind of just, most of the longer friendships, they kind of dissolved. because they didn't either want to be around him or he would, you know, say like, Hey, they don't really care about you. You know, they're trying to do this. They're trying to separate us. You know, look at what I'm doing for you. What are they doing for you? So when you, when he starts moving you from apartment to apartment at that point, are you doing anything for him other than letting friendships go? You know, what was he asking you to do? 
initially it was, hey, if you do this and let me videotape it, it didn't involve other people at first. Okay. It was do this and let's, let me videotape this. I just want it for my collection. Hmm. Let me videotape me doing this to you or let me, you know, stuff like that. Sure. And it still didn't really sing up a flag. I was like, oh, it's just us, you know. Right. And then I think whenever it really started to merge over was I lost my job. So then I had no money. So if you have no money, guess what? I can provide you with that money. So here's what we're going to do. And it started off with, I've got this friend, you know, if you do this, you know, we can get this taken care of and whatnot. He said, I'm going to pay for it. And I was like, well, you know, what choice do I have one? And well, it doesn't seem that bad. I see. You know, it's just like a little thing. So we go in, do that. And I, I remember thinking, this is really not right. But afterwards, I was like, I really didn't feel what I thought I'd feel. I don't really feel anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like, I didn't feel anything. But then, okay, good. Well, guess what? I still got electric. But that just started, it, it started getting more and more to where he had access to my money. Everything he had access to. Because he spent the last year gaining your trust, gaining your interest, and then slowly controlling every part of your life? Yes. So even like bank accounts, I had a bank account. He got me to draw the money out of the bank account. We got a different bank account that he had control over with me. So he would put money in there that not even, I don't even know where it all came from. And then whenever he wanted, he would pull it all out to where I'd be left with nothing. Yeah. And then he would kind of like almost give me kind of an allowance. But it was, like I said, it wasn't like, oh, in two weeks, hey, do this, do this. It was, it was this trust built. So I'm like, well, you know, he's, he's doing this. It's, he's you've, being, it's like you know, you've nice. integrated your lives together so much that you, you, it's, it's hard to see where your life ends and his life, you know, it, it is all yeah. one almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, it was merging into, well, I don't really have any other way of surviving. And then I think it got to the point to where that you start feeling beat down. And then it's like it shifted from you deserve this. You deserve this to this is all you can do. You're not worth anything oh, else. Wow. Look, you, you lost your job. So what other option do you have? This is what you're good at. This is what you're going to have to do. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to be on the street. You're not, you can't be anything mm-hmm. without me. And do you have any idea what it was? that attracted him to you to that made him pick you to start manipulating i think in me at the time i think it was the fact that you know i had so much loss you know i didn't really have a family i didn't really have anybody to go to that right right then it was just me and i think either that was just pretty easy to pick up on to be like well how's your family they're like oh you know i was a foster i was like you know so you're telling them this information that's just common knowledge mm. but i guess it you know in hindsight it yeah, I could, I could see how that would be like, oh, well, she's down right now. So this is a good, you know, a good time. And him kind of saying, you know, I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I care about you. You're doing, you know, you're good. You're beautiful here and all this. You know, you're kind of like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> a lot of the survivors I've talked with, their trafficker had multiple people at the same time. Was this true of yours or, you know, had he done this before? Initially? Initially, I didn't know. I didn't think so. But I remember I got on his phone one time and he had left it open and there was something in my head. I'm like, well, why has he got four different phones? You know, you start questioning these things. And this was kind of early on, but it was after kind of like 
the stuff that was a little bit, you know, more like getting hit, being forced to do this started. And I was just curious and I looked and there was other girls on his phone, you know, mm-hmm. just in the different, just everything the same. And I was just like, oh. I'm not the only one. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And that's why I appreciate that you want to talk about the grooming process because I think that's something that there's this perception that human trafficking looks like kidnapping. And this is a very subtle, nuanced sort of a situation that if we can better understand that and if we can better educate our children, there's a better way to look for these red flags. So what would you say, I mean, you've mentioned quite a few things already, but what would you say from your experience the red flags are? For me, would be kind of pulling me away from family that I have, pulling me away from like longtime friends, just kind of isolating me to where he pulled me into his world, you know, and he was in a, he was in a gang, but pulling me into that to where these are the people who are going to care about you, you know, even though they're the same people who ended up really hurting me, they were also the ones who are like, well, we'll protect you if anything happens. So it was a, it was a weird dichotomy. Sure. And so on one end, you're like, I'm being hurt, but on the other end, guess what? I can be protected. And it messes right. with your mind to where you don't know how to, it just, huh. you're like, well, that's how it is. Because you, know? you would almost feel like if you were to push back, if you were to cut off that resource, you would be working against yourself. You'd almost be, yeah. you would almost feel like you were hurting yourself if you were to step away from that situation. Yeah. And then it was the fear of, well, if he already has control of all my money and all this, I don't have a way. I don't have anybody to say, hey, I need help, you know, because then you get embarrassed. Even if you kind of see it, you get a little bit embarrassed about and it's almost confusing. She's like, well, maybe it's not right, but maybe it's okay." But, you know, and not really knowing. It's like you your instinct says this isn't good, Hmm. (laughs) but you start that you start like kind of pushing that to the back. And just being like, I have to survive. I have to survive. What do I do to survive? And then that just puts blinders on you. And it's like, you know. Felt like you didn't have any options. Yeah. And But then there also, like I always said, there was always this one part where if you did good, if you did what was expected and asked of you, you were rewarded. So, and that's kind of, you know, I think that's a big part. You're like, oh, that feels nice. You know, I have never Mm. had this before. So it's, it's just, there's so many different little boxes I guess Mm. that everything could be in like oh I get rewarded this is nice I've never had these kind of nice things it feels nice I feel like I'm at the level of everybody else to this feels awful I don't like this but I can't tell anybody I don't like this because I don't have anybody to tell but they'll probably blame me because I put myself in this situation Mm. oh yeah yeah did you always feel that he cared about you and that he loved you or was there a time when you no longer believed that? Yeah, there, there, there came that time. And I think it was whenever, like I said, he was in a gang and it got to where whenever he was putting me up for the other gang members and was like, okay, here's, and it wasn't just me. Some of the other ones would have other girls and you would be lined up and say, this is how much I expect you to make. If you don't get this much, I'm going to sell you off to just one of them. So which would you rather do? Figure out how to get the money or would you want me to sell you off for the weekend to, you know, whoever I choose? And it just gets to where you get pitted against the same people that having the same thing done to them as you are to you. So instead of those being like your allies, they're also your enemy because if you don't make the money, then you're the one who gets the repercussions. 
So I'm, I'm wondering, how does that play out? You're essentially saying the women who were in your same position, you couldn't even be allies or whatever because you were pitted against each other. Yes. Yeah. What did that, what did those relationships look like? Did you see them often or was it just kind of this abstract sense that they are the competitor? Some of them, some of you did, like there was, there was always going to be one or two, like I remember one or two that we would kind of get each other's back if things got a little bit, or we tried to buffer it for each other, but as a whole, not everybody's like that. So you'll have one that's wanting to throw you under the bus and it's like, no, uh, -uh." you know, Mm -hmm. it's that street mentality of either I'm going to, you know, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to get the money so I can go off and, you know, relax for the weekend or whatever and not have anything done to me. Or do I just sit back and let it happen to me so it doesn't happen to you? And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that was probably one of the hardest things to start whenever after I got in the safe house and everything was trying to figure out that with other survivors. They're not my enemy. That's a new sort of language that we haven't heard before that, you know, we've heard a lot of conversation about it's, Uh, So important to have, you know, Nicole talked about community. Without a community, it's so hard to have accountability and all these things. But this sort of strain, I'm sure there's sort of this weighing process in your mind of, I've been groomed to believe this about, Mm -hmm. you know, the people who are in my same uh, situation. And yet these are the people who understand best what I'm going through. Yeah. And it took me a little while. I think anybody that knows it, it took me a little while, but once I kind of, you know, got to know them and realized like, wait a minute, now their situations are the same as mine. You know, mm. they get it. Mm. And that's where like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade any of those relationships for anything. Those yeah. are my sisters. Those are, you know, but it, it initially it wasn't, it was like, who, who are you? Are you yeah. for, or are you against? Like everything's for and against. What was the turning point for you? How did you come to be within slavery you know like even after i realized like he doesn't give a crap about that it still went on because mm. i was st- it was still stuck like it was still stuck and it was getting worse but i had to survive and you know it was kind of more like me like figuring out how do i manipulate him to be able to have uh. like the least amount of repercussions on me mm. and it was a matter of you know and that did involve me trying to pull in other girls you know, to take the heat off me by not saying it's right, but it's a different, it's like you're in this bubble of complete survival. And it's Mm -hmm. you against figuring out for you, how do I survive? The transition out was just, it, something just clicked. Something Mm -hmm. just clicked. It was, I think it was just, it got to the point to where it was so just like back to back, back to, it was too much. Like sometimes there'd be a span of like a week or two weeks where nothing would happen because he was traveling. It got to where it was just constant, constant, and it just, I was done. I don't know how to explain it. It's like either I'm fixing to die or I've got to try. And I think the way it all happened was the person who I just, I didn't even know the person who just said, I got to get out. The response was so quick from Mm -hmm. me saying that to that person and having somebody from the FBI contact me to that person meeting me within 30 minutes. Because it was, Mm -hmm. if it hadn't been that quick, oh, I would have backed up and said, nope. The fact that it was just so, I didn't have time to think. Hmm. It was just respond, respond, hmm. respond. Derry, do you find, is that intentional on the side of law enforcement and organizations like in slavery? Very much so, both for the reason that Callie stated and 
because the window of opportunity is sometimes very small away from a trafficker and able to get away. Now, as I say, that's exactly how it was with me. It was he was out of town and I literally had, you know, 48 hours to figure out a plan. It had to, it had to go. And then I, I did I almost backed out. I tried to say, I don't have any money where I'm going. And I almost backed up and said, well, if I can meet him and I know I can do X, Y, Z and get a, you know, a few hundred, but I didn't, you know, I had somebody good mm. that was pushing me the whole time from here. That was like, don't go, just go, just go. Don't mm. turn your phone, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Kelly, is there anything that you would want to tell an agency like End Slavery Tennessee about how best to help survivors? I think the immediate response that's like to quick to respond quick, I think is the biggest. And that, that did happen. Like uh, originally I was not, plan was not, I didn't even know slavery existed. But once mm-hmm. I got to Nashville, a lot of things just fell through, through nobody's fault, you know. And then I, the person, she was actually my therapist here, said, hey, try this organization. And I picked up the phone after I was in the domestic violence shelter two days. And all I said was, I'm scared. He's fixing to come find me. And it wasn't 10 minutes. And that was that, you know. And it was, it was almost like a whirlwind to where you're like, I don't know what's going on, but this can't, you know. And there was, there was resistance by me, but it wasn't, it was, it was quick. You know, there almost wasn't that time to think, but in the same sense, it was, hey, we're, you know, we're here, but let's just keep you moving for like the first few days. It was a con- I was moving, if that makes sense. Huh. You know, I didn't have time to like get the phone or get that, which was good. One of the things that I, when I think about, you know, the argument of, can't you just leave? I, if I were to put myself in your shoes, I would absolutely think, well, they would come find me. I mean, that's sort of. I would be afraid that I was going to be sought after. Was it comforting for you to be, to be moved a lot? It was, it was, I think, cause I, yes, but I also don't think that I really thought too much about it. Cause I was constantly Mm. had that hypervigilance of, okay, wait, 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 who's this, who's that? I don't know crowds. I don't know, you know, there's two, Mm. but in a way, yes. But it was also like, okay, there's a safety here. And I know that, yeah, but guess what? There's some backup behind me. There are two things I'm curious about. One is you had learned not to trust anybody. So you had to learn to trust fellow survivors. But also, I keep hearing this story, and I heard it with you, that your trafficker started out by giving you things just because he cared about you, just because Mm -hmm. he wanted to help you. And the same thing happens when you start a recovery process. You're being given housing and clothing and medical care. And I imagine it's really hard to trust that there are no strings attached. Yeah, it was initially, but I still remember like walking in and be like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, this is real. You know, they're not. And it it took a little bit, I guess, to figure out the balance and just kind of watch and see. And, you know, is this true? Like, what are, what do I have to, am I fixing to have to go and get into all this legal stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. and I could be forced to have to talk and have to tell them this and this and this. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, but in your head, you're like, what, what's fixing to happen here? <laughs> Absolutely. My earliest memories of you, Callie, were when you first came, understandably, you were very shut down. You didn't make eye contact. You kept your head down. You weren't trusting. That's perfectly understandable yeah. and typical. And I remember a moment 
when you were given a gift and it felt like yeah. <laughs> that made a big difference? Yeah, which is funny because it's sitting right here behind me. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like I'm a musician. I, you know, sing, play piano. You know, that's kind of what I did. You know, my whole life. And I don't know if it's just like I've missed it, or it's like that's just kind of a way where I could get stuff out that's not words. Because words, I don't always have words, especially when I don't really know somebody or whatnot. And I remember we're sitting in the back of the old office and said hey, somebody wants to talk to you in the computer room. And I'm thinking it's somebody from the FBI, it's somebody's the police. I'm not wanting to talk to anybody. And I, you know, like Gary said, I didn't really talk. I stayed back watching. And then I remember walking in and I still didn't get it. Like there was a keyboard sitting there. And I'm like, I don't know who some of these people are, but I kind of, but I don't. I'm like, why are they all looking at me? Where are the cops? <laughs> and then I kind of looked over and there's this keyboard. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like it was, you know, and I did. I remember I put that thing up and I played and played and played and played. And it's just like, it was just kind of like this, you know, getting back to something that I love that was taken from me. And it was just mm. giving back to me. Wow. You know, that was a beautiful oh. thing to watch from the outside. I think you spent most of the day in there. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. Didn't have PM, didn't care. I was like, let me just find something. I'm good. To draw back on the word dichotomy that you so wonderfully used earlier in our conversation, you know, I'm seeing a sort of parallel between your trafficker would give you things for the purpose of grooming you to trust him so he could abuse you. And I wondered how you felt in this moment being presented with a gift that was purely for your enjoyment just because you were being loved genuinely people wanted to take care of you in a way that was for your benefit. Did that even come to mind that? You know, it didn't. And I didn't even think about this till you just posed that question. The things I was given were always materialistic. Always. It was either, here's you some super nice clothes. Let me take you on a big trip. And the trip always involved something else when we got there. It went, it's stuff that like I could take it or leave it, you know, mm -hmm. but if you're going to give it to me, oh, this is nice. I feel good. You know, like nice designer shoes, dresses, you know, all that. Whereas anything that I truly enjoyed, the music I no longer did offer, mm -hmm. no longer, you know, had a keyboard or a piano, all of that, the stuff that I really enjoyed that was, was taken away from me was given back to me by enslavery. So it's, it's two different, if that makes sense, you yes. know, the things that I enjoyed were taken from me on one end, but the things I was given was materialistic. Like it wasn't stuff that's gonna, it, it was, honestly, it was to enhance me, to make me look more profitable. Let's just, you know, that's reality. It was really for his gain yes. and taking away the things from you that made you who you are. Yes. Whereas in slavery was giving you things to, to feed who you are. Yes. So it's tough, like it didn't, I, that never even crossed my mind that they were the same. I think because yeah. of that, oh, you know, great. they took more of the time to see like, what is it that you enjoy? What is it that you didn't have or got taken away from, you know, cause every girl's got something, everybody's got a thing, you know, hmm. once even they remember that they have that thing that they enjoy, that they're good at, it just, it's just different. That's gotta be hard. You know, you saying once they remember, that has to be difficult when you're involved in psychological warfare for a long time. But I'm sure some people even forget what it is that they, that loved. That oh, I forgot. 
Mm. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cause it's not something you're doing and you're, you're focused on completely something else. Survival. You know, something I'm else. sure. Yeah. 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 So you don't like that. That's just the thing of the past. That's just something Phobos used to do. You know, I had kids stuff, you know, but it's, mm. you're not gonna say, Hey, I'd really like to go play my piano before I do this trick. Like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, right. If you were to talk to someone who might be listening to this, who is actually in the grooming process, what would you say? Uh, trust your gut. Trust your gut. Mm. You know, don't dismiss it. Cause I'm telling you that I had the gut. I had the gut. There was something, if whatever it is and talk to people, you know, it's not your fault. <laughs> you're getting manipulated by the person. So it's, it's not you. You're not doing anything to cause that person to basically manipulate you. And just be be aware, you know, mm. if you're getting given and getting given, and getting given, then all of a sudden it's, it starts turning into, but you kind of owe me this. That's, that's not love. That's not, it's not real care. Perfect. Or if you're getting taken away from the things that you love and care about, that's not what that is. No matter, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you can get out. Like there, there's, there's more to it. You know, on the other side of the fence, there, there is still stuff there. You know, you're not done. Even if you're involved, you're not done. You know. And Slavery Tennessee thanks Jones Legacy Group for their continued support and exclusive sponsorship of this first season of Someone Like Me. Executive producer is Derry Smith. Producer and editor is Gregory Byerline. Music by Kurt Goebel. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson. Thank you for listening.